in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter number two. And uh, it's an exciting chapter for me because I, I have to tell you, much of my life in Christianity, and it's no one's fault but my own, I served a form of religion. I believe I was saved, but I, I really did things for what I think perhaps may have been the wrong reason to, to, for the church and for the religious people. And the more I began to study the Word, the more I knew God and become more acquainted with God and the God of the Word, my life began to change. And uh, for instance, let me ask you a question. The question is this. If you could go to a place where you never had to worry about anything, you never had to worry about money, and you never had to worry about food, and you never had to worry about health, wouldn't you want to go there? And you say, yes. And if we talk about heaven in those terms... But rarely do we talk about heaven being heaven because of Christ. So in some sense, we make Christianity about us and about our needs and about what we want. In actuality, it's a personal relationship. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so when we get in that mode and we come to the Scriptures, it's exciting when we learn something about God. And tonight I want to teach you on the providence of God. A lot of people are afraid of this word, the providence of God. Providence, they're afraid of that word. But it's nothing to be afraid of. Actually, it's a wonderful word. And when we understand, there's two really main thoughts on this, this theme of the providence of God. There are some who believe that, <clears throat> that God is sovereignly in control of all the affairs of man. And on the other spectrum is that God is not in control of the of, uh, sovereignly in control of all the things. And you and I have to fall into one category. And we can't fall into partially this category or partially that category. There's no such thing as karma. There's no such thing as coincidence. But what we find in the scriptures taught over and over and over is the providence of God. And I have a working definition of the providence of God that I'd like to share with you this evening. Providence means God's control over our lives and things that, that happen to us, and the things that happen to us, usually in a way that protects us. So when we talk about the providence of God, we're talking about the con God's control over our lives and the things that happen to us. It's very important because either God's in control or He's not in control. And if this is not about me, this is all about Him, this is about His glory, then this doctrine of providence we will cling to because it's so important. And it will begin to change our mind about the Scriptures. Let's read in verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? 
So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she says, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have, to have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me that all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at a mealtime, Come here and eat of bread, of the bread. Dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epoch of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name of whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness of the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He has also said to me, You shall stay close by my, my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So that's the whole chapter, chapter 2. And you read that, and this is a historical book, and you get the actual history of what's going on. The... Ruth goes out into the field to glean. What is this business of gleaning? Well, the business of gleaning was this. If you remember back under Levitical law, uh, there were, when they harvested and some of the harvest fell on the ground, they were to leave it so that the poor could come behind them and glean, which is gather, gather that which was left behind. 
And so the poor would follow them. They would wait till they were out of the field. They would come in the fields and they would glean. They would gather all that harvest that was left there uh, for the poor. Now, what I want you to see in this text is that God uses a number of things in our lives as He sovereignly brings us along to where He wants us. Some people have this mis, uh, this really this skewed view of God, that God saves you, He's active in your salvation, and then He backs off and lets you do all of Christianity your way. Well, that's a false, that's a false assumption. You'll not find that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that when we become saved, we are not our own. We have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we now live for Christ. And as Christ brings us and shapes us and molds us into the people He wants us to be, He uses a number of things in our lives. And that's what this this story is really all about. I want to show you some of the things that God uses in the life of Ruth, but He also uses in our life. Look in verse 1 with me, verses 1 through 3. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Verse 2. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And notice this phrase. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. This word happened, it actually means to, uh, to arrive at an unforeseen event. Now, this unforeseen event is on Ruth's viewpoint, not God's. God certainly knew it. And I want you to see that God uses places in our lives to bring us along to where we need to be. It's part of His providence. For instance, I don't believe that any of you here tonight are here by coincidence. I don't think anybody that attends Shawnee Hills Baptist Church or serves in this church, I don't believe anybody does that by coincidence. I believe that God knew that you would be here on this night. God is sovereign. And He sovereignly brings us along and He uses places in our lives. I mean, come on. Do you think, honestly, think about this. Do you think that God orchestrated all of this? Or do you think that God didn't see it happening or didn't see it coming and she just happens to go to the field of Boaz and Boaz is smitten with her and this, by coincidence, he happens to be related to Elimelech and he can fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer and just by coincidence, Boaz falls for her and decides to, to be the kinsman redeemer. There's someone in front of him and that guy just, by coincidence, didn't happen to want to be the kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz steps up and then here we go. Man, can you believe it? She's in the lineage of King David. That takes more faith to believe that all of that happened by coincidence than that God led her to the right place at the right time. And so God uses places we are in in our lives. He uses the place you're in. 
God has you here for a purpose. And it's good to know that. And we forget that sometimes. People think, well, you know, what is my purpose? Well, I don't think God ever intended for any of us to just be a spectator in Christianity. I think He's always intended for us to be actively involved in His work. And so He places us in a place where He can use us and bring us along sovereignly through His providence to where He wants us. So it's not a coincidence that she is where she's at. I mean, it's not a coincidence that she finds to happen upon His field. It's part of God's plan. So what happens then? Well, I think it's even further amazing that God uses the timing of events in our lives. What if she had gone a day earlier? Or what if she had gone a day later? Would Boaz have been there? I don't know. But the point is, she didn't. Because God uses timing for His work of providentially, through His sovereignty, moving us along to where we need to be. Look in verse 4, if you would, please. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? She's following along. She's coming along. She's gleaning. She's following them and picking up the leftovers. Whose young woman is this? Verse 6. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now let's just think about this. Under the, the thought of timing, God's timing. Elimelech has died. His two uh, sons have died. Ruth and Naomi come back. Ruth says, Naomi, I want to be with you. I want your God to be my God. They come to this time, at to this place, and at this place, at this very time, she comes into contact with Boaz. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think that's a coincidence. It's God's perfect timing. Someone has told me that this statement that God is never late. Have you ever waited on God for something and, you know, we think God's late? Remember when uh, they were waiting on Jesus, when Lazarus was dead and Jesus... Delayed, he didn't go right away, and he went. And she said, uh, Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus, our brother, would not be dead. <clears throat> he was not late. And when God doesn't move in the time frame we want him to move, God is not late. Sometimes we just get there early. Right? God uses the timing of events. And it's interesting that... Here's the place, and here's the timing. He happens to go down and check on the field. She happens to be there gleaning, and it's all fitting together. So what happens next? Well, the third thing God uses in our lives is our people. Our people. Verses 6 through 8. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It was the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, You will, will you not? 
Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. God has people in place so that He can sovereignly move Ruth along where she needs to go. First of all, there's a servant. There's a servant. They didn't run her off. They let her, they let her reap. And when Boaz comes, he tells them, make sure you don't run her off. Make sure you don't run her off. Why? Because the servant is part of God's plan. Boaz is part of God's plan. Ruth is part of God's plan. And God puts people in our lives. Now, this is in the positive sense, but let me just talk about the negative sense. Sometimes God puts people in our lives in a negative sense, and we wonder why in the world they're there. Anybody have someone in your life that really tries your patience? Okay, all three of you that affirmed in the yes. And then there are some who have uh, really need to work on your lying. You're not doing real well. But God uses people in our lives and He uses them for His purposes to grow us, right? He does. Whether you say amen or not, He does. And sometimes those people stretch our faith and our patience. And sometimes there are people just along at the right time God uses to encourage us. Has anyone ever been discouraged and down in the doldrums and the dumps and you, run in, you ran into someone and when you ran into them, man, they were just what you needed. That individual encouraged you and, and did a great work. Maybe you ran into a Barnabas, an encourager. Maybe you ran into someone who was a helper that helped you. But God uses people. He uses Places. He uses the timing, his timing, and he uses people to bring us along sovereignly where we need to be. Now, I find it interesting that in addition to that, God also uses our past to bring us along, the past in our lives. Look at verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them which I have commanded the young men not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now I want you to pay close attention to what Boaz is going to say. Boaz says this in verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz says the reason he took note of Ruth was because he had heard of her past, her testimony in how she treated her mother-in-law and how she came to Israel ultimately to be under the wings of God and sought refuge from God Almighty. Her testimony. God used her testimony. Now you know what that tells me? That Boaz was asking about her. He was wanting to know about her. Because he said, who is that? And when he heard about it, and then he comes and he talks to her and he tells her, he said, because it is full, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. God uses our past 
in our lives to sovereignly bring us along. He uses our testimony. This is why it's important to have a good testimony. From time to time, I run into Christians and Christians tell me this. I don't care what they think of me. I understand what you're saying. But we should care about our testimony. We should care that we not offend the cause of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we bow down to people and, and we conduct ourselves so we please them. No, but we should have a good testimony. There should not be anything in our lives that stands against what we say we are as believers. God uses our past. And you know what? How many of you have heard this saying when we were growing up? Don't burn any what? Bridges. Why? Because people will bring your past up. You are forgiven. God has forgiven you all your sin, all the past. But there will be people who will bring your past up. And so God uses our past and our testimony to sovereignly move us along to where He wants us to be. And guys, I'm telling you, this is, this is amazing to me. Because I see God's hand all throughout this process. And what makes Ruth any different than you or me? Nothing. There's no difference. Uh, she, might, uh, she was a Moabitess. I'm not talking about that obvious thing. But I'm talking about how God loves us and treats us. Is it any different than He treated Ruth? No. God also uses the work in our lives. At verse 12, he says, the Lord repay your work. Your work. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Earlier, Boaz's servant said something that caught my attention. In verse number 7, he said, So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. She had a... A work. She had a work. And God used her work to bring her and Boaz into alignment. Verse 13. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat the bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and passed the parched grain to her. She ate and was satisfied and she kept some back. Why did she keep some back? Because she's thinking of whom? Naomi. She's not only thinking of herself, she's thinking of others. And look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had and gleaned it. And there's about an epoch of barley. And she took it and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought her out and gave her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? There's that word again, work. Blessed be the one who took notice. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name whom I worked, whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to the daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. This is the same woman in the earlier chapter said, Don't call me blessed, call me Mara. Don't call me blessed, beautiful friend. Call me Mara, bitterness, because God has, he has poured bitterness on me. And now she's saying, 
Blessed is he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness of the living or dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a rel- relation of ours and a close relative's. Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Ruth, you're going to work. You're going to work until the harvest is finished. But you're going to be by my men. They're going to provide for you. They're going to protect you. Verse 22, And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. Why? Because God uses the work He's called you to do to sovereignly bring you along to where you need to be. How many times have I heard someone tell me this, Pastor, when I started teaching Sunday school where I started teaching Awana, I began to grow. Why? Because God uses His work to sovereignly bring you along. If you have any kind of commitment to the Lord, any kind of commitment to the work of the church, and you get involved and you put your heart into it, God will grow you. Why? Because He's sovereignly moving you along. Max Lucado said God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to allow you to remain the way you are. I wrote that in one of my Bibles. That was profound to me when I heard it. And so where you are is no coincidence tonight. And so I really want to start by ask, finish by asking you a series of questions. The first question is this. Am I seeking why I am where I am? Have you ever asked God, God, why do you have me where I am right now? This could apply to your career. This could apply to church. This could apply to friendships. To any kind of thing. Because here's what I want you to see. I contend that most of us are oblivious to the work of God that's going on always around us. We're good at segregating the work of God to the church. But when we're out there, we don't do it. We don't do the work of God out there because we're too busy. You know, when I serve the Lord, I serve the Lord in the pulpit. No, I serve the Lord 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And so wherever I am, why am I here? This was a question I asked myself when I was in Fort Dix, New Jersey, in the middle of winter, at night, in the bed, when I was in basic training, everyone else is in bed, and I'm thinking, lying there, looking at the sky, thinking, what in the world are you doing here? But you know, God used that time in basic training. And I thank God for that. And we don't always know where we are while we're there. I guess maybe when we're there, while we're there. But the question is this. Have you ever stopped and asked God, God, why do you have me here? Because there's opportunities all around and God is sovereignly working. Am I seeking that? Am I going to acknowledge that? Or am I just going to let it come and go and not be changed? That's the key. That's the question. The second question I would like to ask myself is, am I seeking God in the timing of events? Why do you have me here at this moment? Remember Queen Esther? Courtney alluded to it Sunday morning when she so wonderfully laid out that devotion. Mordecai told Queen Esther, he said, uh, maybe, just maybe, God has you here for such a time as this. 
The world's unraveling. We watch the news and a lot of people are a nervous wreck. Had someone call me or text me and said, can you call me? And I said, well, I can talk now. And I talked to this lady. And she said, I, I just don't know what to do. I know that the, uh, the uh, vaccination is not the mark of the beast. I know that, but I'm just, I'm so in turmoil of all this going on. And I said, listen, you, you need to put away the political banner and you need to get along with God and talk to God. Stop with the, the bannering that's going on. Do you, and, and, and listen, I know and you know, we all know how this ends on this earth. There is not you, there's not I, there is not anyone on the face of the earth that can change what God has written in His Word. There's not a politician that can do it. It's going to happen. We need to be prepared to meet Him. And not worry about those end time events. Our biggest worry should be our loved ones, our friends, and everyone we know going with us in the rapture. But we're here. And this timing that we're here, the timing of all these events unfolding, God knows exactly. And He knew exactly. Before you and I were ever even born, that we would be here in this time. Do we ask God? Am I seeking you in the timing of this event that you can use me for your glory? The ultimate goal is God's glory. We'll never have heaven on earth. You've got to die to get there. Or the rapture has to happen first. Am I seeking God's glory in the timing of these events? Am I seeking God in the people in my life? The people with whom I have relationships, am I seeking God? Am I helping them know God more as a result of being in their lives? Or am I just someone else filling up a friend space? Am I an ambassador for Christ or not? Is it one difference to that person that I am in their life or their relationship? We're not you all, but maybe you are, I don't know, but the day we live in is so narcissistic. It's all about me, my desires, my wishes, my will, what I want. But in actuality, the truth is it's all about God. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationships He puts us in. We are representing Him in that relationship. You are the body of Christ. Do you understand that that means we, church, are the physical representation of Jesus Christ on this earth? It's not about suits and ties and big crosses around our necks. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's about uh, showing forth the glory of God. The next question, am I seeking God's purpose in my past or my testimony? Do you know that there are some of you that have a past in which you can use that past and reach someone else with the gospel of Christ that no one else in this room can? Do you know that you have a skill set that God can use that perhaps someone that has something in common with you, they can 
use your skill set to bring them to Christ. Isn't that amazing? There are hobbies that you have, that you have in common with other people. And I mean, wouldn't it be terrible, say, if you're in some kind of, I'm just going to come up with a club. You're some kind of club, and you go there with these guys, and you have the same interest, and you're there every week with them, and you come to find out one of the guys in your club dies, and you spent years with him around this hobby, in this club, and he never knew the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you had the opportunity to share that with him, and you had a relationship, and you didn't do it? Am I seeking God's purpose in my past or my testimony? Am am I seeking God in my work? Why do you do what you do? I mean, why why do you do... Many of you say, well, because I have to to make a living. Well, you know what? There are a lot of people that are not making a living right now. And a lot of people don't want to work. And God will sort all that out. It's not for me to judge. But I'm telling you this. Am I seeking God in my work? Do I go to work and I complain about my work to the people with whom I work and destroy my testimony for Christ because I'm a constant nag and complain? Or do I have the joy of the Lord in my life on the job? Now, if you're retired, praise God. My son thinks retirement's cool. As a matter of fact, he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to retire. (laughs) They get to do what they want to do and they all have money. That's That's his thought. I like the concept of that. It's not practical, it doesn't work, but at least he's thinking about it. But let me ask you this. Do we acknowledge that God is sovereignly in control of our lives? It's easy to get up here and preach about this, church. I'm serious. It's very easy. I like to take these off because I can't see your faces back there when I got them on. Thank you for the thumbs up. But my question is, do we acknowledge that God is sovereignly in control of our lives? You see, the problem with God being sovereignly in control of our lives is we are not. And that's what we don't like. Because whether you realize it or not, part of humanity is, I want to be in control of my own life. No one's going to tell me what to do. How many of you heard teenagers say that? No one's going to tell me what to do. Well, why you wear your pants that way? Society tells you that and you do it. I mean, it's the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard. People say, no, I don't know. Let me just tell you this. It's part of your nature, it's part of my nature that we want to be in control. And it started with Adam. Adam wanted to be in control of his life. He didn't want to yield control to the Lord. But you know what? Adam capitulated. You know what that means? Adam gave in. Adam came to the other side. He realized that God was in control. You know why? He found out the hard way. And you and I don't have to find out the hard way. We can surrender our lives to the sovereign control of God and we can start viewing the places we are as part of God's will. I'm here, God. What do you want me to do? The timing of things. God, I'm here on this earth. It's going crazy. What do you want me to do? God, you brought these people into my life. What do you want me to do? God, you've given me a testimony. What do you want me to do with my testimony? God, you've given me a work to do. What do you want me to do with it, God? 
See, God is sovereignly bringing us along to have us right where He wants us. And there's one word, one key word that Ruth does that you'll find that's not said, the concept's there, but it's not said chapters 1 all the way through 4. That word is surrender. Ruth surrenders every step of the way. She comes back with Naomi, surrenders her family, walks away from her homeland, goes, says, I want your God to be my God. Naomi tells her what to do. She surrenders. She surrenders herself to Boaz. All throughout you will see. And you know that as a result, I come over here and I read in chapter 4, verse 18, Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. If I read that correctly, Ruth would have been David's great-grandmother. All because she surrendered to the sovereign control of God. Was it without sorrow? Absolutely not. She lost her first husband. I'm sure she loved her husband. I'm sure it was hard, but it was right. And it's always right when we surrender to the Lord. Amen? Okay. Would there be any questions? You can... Cut that off there for me, Bryce. Thank you. All right. You may have any comments.